Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, we are joined by AAF's Director of Financial Service Policy, Thomas Wade, to discuss several financial assistance programs. Thomas, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. How have you been throughout the uh, last couple of months? We haven't talked in a while. It's either been 14 months or 14 minutes. I honestly don't know if there's a difference. I, I think time is just, you know, out the window. Everything feels like it's been a year at this point. Who knows what even day it is. But let's jump right in to talk about what everyone came here to talk about today. So as everybody knows, in response to the pandemic, uh, the federal government created several programs to channel trillions of dollars in financial assistance to the economy. You've been following both the impact and operations of these programs pretty closely. And you built these weekly trackers on our website for these programs. People are clearly finding this interesting because that has been the number one most traffic page on our site, which is awesome that people are getting use of this information. So I'd like to talk to you about these and about the latest on these pandemic existent programs. So let's start with perhaps the most visible program, and that's the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP. Set the scene for us. What is the PPP, and what has its impact been? Oh, gosh, those are the two most fundamental questions. So apologies if I just go on a bit of a rant here. Going back to the context, in March of last year, Congress passed and President Trump signed the first major legislative response to the threats posed by coronavirus, the Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security Act, or the CARES Act. The uh, $2.2 trillion CARES Act included $500 billion in financial support for corporations, $340 billion for state and local governments, $300 billion in uh, one-time direct payments to Americans, $260 billion in increased unemployment benefits, and finally $350 billion that would fund the newly created Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP. The CARES Act support of businesses can be thought of in two parts because it's very specifically business support that I've been focusing on. First, the $500 billion that would be administered by Treasury and the Federal Reserve, with a view to supporting the largest firms that make up the financial services ecosystem, and the $350 billion via the PPP that would be administered by the Small Business Administration, or SBA, designed to support, unsurprisingly, uh, small businesses. Um, at its absolute core, and this is really drilling down, the PPP was designed to support small businesses who are very broadly uh, those with 500 employees or less fewer, less, <laughs> either way, with the funds they would need to keep their staff on the books for eight weeks via an entirely forgivable loan that is 100% federally backed, i.e. a loan those small businesses would not and would never need to repay. Uh, the actual amount a small business would receive was calculated on the basis of payroll and other expenses up to a maximum of $10 million. Uh, so let's just quickly talk through the uh, life cycle of the PPP through Congress over the last year. Uh, the PPP opened on April, uh, early April 2020 and closed, well, actually, it opened on April 3, 2020 and closed on April 16, 2020, barely two weeks afterwards on the exhaustion of all $349 billion the CARES Act uh, had initially appropriated. Uh, I call this, I don't know if anyone else does, but I call this round one of the PPP. 
Uh, Congress later added an additional 320 billion to the PPP uh, round two, uh, which brought total funds up to 669 billion. Uh, the PPP program was due to expire at midnight on June 30, again, still last year, with funds remaining, but it was uh, extended, authorized through to August 8, at which point round two ended with funds still remaining. On December 21st of last year, Congress passed the Consolidated Appropriations Act, CAA, uh, signed into law by uh, President Trump very, very late December. I think it was a couple of days after Christmas. Uh, the $900 billion $900 billion CAA package included an additional $284 billion for the PPP program and opened on January the 1st, marking what I've been calling round three of the program. Uh, once again, the PPP was extended very recently, this time by President Biden, uh, who extended the application deadline for March 31 to May 31 of this year, which is sort of the nominal end of the program, or at least applications to the program. Uh, in addition to extending and refunding the program over the last year, we've seen a number of programmatic changes. The most important of these is the addition via the CAA that would allow businesses to apply for a second PPP loan, whereas before, obviously, it was only ever limited to one. Uh, it, it was very much of a flavor of a wider range of changes to the PPP to make it generally more accessible uh, and easier for businesses to use. So, for instance, changing the program from supporting only eight weeks of payroll to 24. Uh, bottom line, TLDR, uh, all in all, Congress has authorized $814 billion for the PPP. And at time of recording, there is only about $40 billion left. Uh, so that is some $770 billion that uh, the SBA via Congress via the nation's banking systems have spent to support small businesses. Uh, so that was only half of your question, I apologize. The other half was, uh, I think, what was the impact of the PPP? The PPP did two things extraordinarily well. It did speed and it did size. At the macro level, uh, first and most striking, uh, I mentioned that round one of the PPP was over seemingly in the blink of an eye. In one month alone, the SBA uh, supported $531 billion that just went out into the economy. That is extraordinary. It is one of the most impressive things we've seen, well, I think one of the most impressive government responses to a financial crisis that we've ever seen. Uh, it, is, it was, and this is something the AF said a lot of the time, the single largest source of support for the entire economy for the month of April. Uh, the speed of the PPP was also extremely important because it was really interestingly contrasted at the time by how relatively slow and ineffective other aid and rescue packages, particularly financial services ones, particularly those administered by Treasury and the Federal Reserve were. So there were these emergency programs, these 13 three programs that the Federal Reserve set up that took months to even go into operation. And when they did, what they achieved was barely anything by comparison, no more than a drop in the nation. Um, so while at macro level, uh, I think things look peachy, this is somewhat of a qualified success because uh, while the PPP was one of the, I think, one of the most effective government responses to the threat of the pandemic, and I think is a strong uh, aspect and can be credited, at least in part, 
to how well the economy is doing now. At a micro level, it remains difficult to tell how many jobs the PPP saved and how many small businesses the PPP has kept from shuffling. The SBA, I think it was almost as long as a year ago, suggested that it had saved 50 million jobs, a figure that was actually broadly mocked by, by industry. Others have said 18 million jobs were saved. Uh, most estimates tend to actually range as low as one to five million jobs. Unfortunately, it's so very difficult to tell and estimates are all over the shop uh, because the SBA did not collect this information via the PPP or at the very least start reporting on it. Ultimately, it may take years to obtain this information as we start to see bankruptcy and IRS and tax filings. As we see that information be reported on the company side, we may come to a better picture of how successful the PPP was on the micro side. But as of now, it's very difficult to tell. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like when, when we're talking about the economics, it's tough to put a number on we may maybe jobs saved, but the you know the speed and how much was getting into the economy definitely helped shore up some of those small businesses that might not have made it through the pandemic. And I think well, well, that's a really interesting point that last one because one of the complaints about the PPP is that the funds that it dispersed went to companies that would have survived anyway. Um, because of the nature of the way the program is constructed, which requires uh, the nation's banking system and pre-existing relationships between small businesses and those banks. Uh, and that's something we spoke a lot here at the AAF, which was this idea of how appropriate is that and how appropriate would it have been for the PPP to have supported small businesses that would have gone under anyway. So it's a really interesting point that, but certainly, at the very, very least, mm -hmm. I think, uh, on the basis of no data that I'm prepared to show you, that the PPP shortened the financial crisis, if you can call it that, and got us on the path to recovery much sooner. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember back to when Doug and I were talking about this way back when this started. Um, but I think like one of the big parts of this was just keeping people attached to jobs. Um, and keeping people with jobs attached to those businesses. Um, and it sounded, you know, it sounded like it had a fair amount of success back then to help with the impact of this program. One thing Doug talks about a lot is this particular crisis as uh, on the basis of the supply versus a demand shock. And I think to the extent that this was the single government response to very specifically addressing the, pro the problem of keeping people employed or keeping bums in seats, particularly in the service economy, uh, nothing else came close to having the same benefit as the PPP. Right. There's a lot of data in your tracker. I mean, there's a lot of those graphs and tables and things like that. So what sets of data have you been watching and why is it important to track those particular sets of data? Well, ultimately, this is obviously taxpayer money. And furthermore, uh, this is taxpayer money that has been designed to be lost. So it's really interesting to see where, I think it's very interesting to see where at least where the money is going. <laughs> uh, the SBA has published some data weekly over the last year. And that's where I've been getting, I've been pulling those many, many tables and graphs from. Uh, so the, the actual uh, metrics that I've been, I've been following range from, as I mentioned above, the total amount that the PPP has, has dispersed, uh, the total number of loans, uh, PPP loans that have gone out over the last year. But there's also a lot more uh, 
granular and interesting data, including state by state data. So, uh, Kyle, you're from Vermont. Mm -hmm. uh, in phase three and phase three alone, uh, Vermont has seen 8,000 PPP loans uh, with a little over $540 million in value. By comparison, California has seen 500,000 PPP loans supporting roughly $32 billion in value. Now, I'm not one to suggest that California or Vermont is, is more deserving of PPP funds. I don't think I've been to either. Uh, but I think that is, it's really interesting to know which states were better at obtaining PPP funds, because if nothing else, I think that should inform how we think about uh, small business support in future financial crises. Uh, it's also useful and interesting to know the industry of PPP respondents, uh, which has been overwhelmingly dominated by construction and then by healthcare. Uh, more recently, um, since the Biden administration, the SBA has been compiling and reporting PPP demographic data, uh, which, while fascinating, has proven to be wildly useless because it is not mandatory for PPP respondents to provide their gender or their ethnicity or their veteran status, and the vast, vast majority haven't. So, unfortunately, uh, there's not a lot to really fathom from that. One metric I do find really interesting is, uh, again, in phase three, uh, reporting on PPP loans that go to first-time versus second-time uh, receivers of, P of a PPP loan, because, as mentioned, since phase three, firms have been able to apply for a second PPP loan. Uh, and one thing I find really interesting is that although, as of now, roughly half of all PPP loans go to uh, first-time versus second-time uh, applicants, so it's broadly 50-50, uh, second, the average loan size of a second-time PPP loan is still roughly five times the size of a first-time average loan size. Yeah, I mean, that, that was one of the data points that stuck out to me, is, is the average loan size appeared to be dropping in one of those charts. What does that tell us about this? So average loan size is obviously a function of the value of PPP uh, funds dispersed over the number of PPP loans issued. Uh, and you're right, it's it's uh, over the last year, the uh, average loan size uh, has uh, quite dramatically decreased and very steadily decreased, almost suspiciously decreased, although I wouldn't uh, imply that the SBA were cooking the books. Um, given that a PPP loan uh, or the total amount permissible for a PPP loan is calculated on the basis of a company's payroll, uh, the fact that an average loan size continues to fall is seen as one of the successes of the PPP because it, the strong implication is that loans are targeting smaller and smaller firms. This is considered a success for two reasons. Uh, first, there was criticism at the start of the PPP program that funds were going to quote unquote undeserving recipients, uh, obviously uh, Shake Shack and yeah. was it the was it the Lakers or the Bulls? I don't it, remember. I can't remember his name, but yes, it was Shake Shack got some some sort of a loan here, and but I believe they paid it back. But he was on, and then, was on uh, as one of the financial shows talking about it. The guy, the guy, the restaurateur that owns it. I can't remember, but it's a was a famous case at the beginning of all this. Yeah, I remember that. And I'd like to talk about that case in a bit more detail because uh, I think it was a fascinating example of really focusing on 
the wrong criticisms of the PPP. But either way, it was Shake Shack and either the Lakers or the Bulls, one of your sports teams. Uh, but most importantly, these smaller and smaller average loan sizes. Uh, given the way that the PPP program was set up to require the nation's banks and their relationships with uh, small businesses, the PPP strongly prejudiced, oh, what's the word I want? The PPP strongly ad advantaged, <laughs> advantaged, advantaged, the PPP strongly advantaged those small firms that have relationships with banks, which tended to not be the smallest of the small firms. And so the fact that the loan size is dropping is seen as a success for that reason. Interesting. Before we move on from data, I do have to go back to your interesting points about state by state. Well, I do also find that interesting, but I would not ever think that Vermont should ever have more than California. So it's good to you know see all of that just because the size of our economies are, are obviously so different. But uh, well, well, that and the fact that, and, and obviously your demographics are very different and the yeah. proportion of your different states that are in different industries are different. Right. However, it would be fascinating, and I certainly haven't done this, but it would be interesting to take either two more analogous states or even attempt to distill those down to sort of you know, factors that could be put in a calculation so to determine all other, all else being equal, which state was more uh, successful in obtaining a PPP loan, and if so, why. Mm, that would be interesting. But yes, I would have always liked to see Vermont up doing better, but you know, it is what it is. Your tracker also indicates um, that we are coming to the end of the allocated PPP funds. Should we be alarmed by that? Or is that just, you know, the program has done what it's supposed to do and we're ready to move on from that? Yes. So there's only about $40 billion left. Uh, and the program has been dispersing between 10 to 15 billion a week over the last few weeks. That being the case, it wouldn't surprise me if funds were exhausted by the end of May. Uh, that would be a fascinating end of the program because, as I mentioned, uh, round one funds largely evaporated $350 billion in two weeks, and round two closed at the then statutory deadline with funds remaining. Uh, generally, petering out isn't an option that's happened yet, so I'm pleased that the PPP continues to be interesting. Um, and I think it, it's really important to think about PPP funds versus those two previous experiences, because the fact that round two ended with funds still remaining to the program uh, could indicate a number of things. It could indicate low demand. It could indicate a lack of access to the program. It could indicate some uh, frustration that was held by banks and intermediaries at the extraordinarily uh, complex procedures for forgiveness of those loans and other uh, questions as to the opera operationalizing of a PPP from start to end, which has remained, or certainly for the first nine months of the PPP program, was extraordinarily up in the air and subject to almost week by week uh, clarification by Treasury and the SBA. Um, as for whether we should be alarmed about the program coming to an end, um, I'm, I'm delighted that you say uh, it depends on what you referenced. It depends on what you believe the, S the PPP was supposed to be for, uh, because it really depends on uh, what you want from the PPP program. If the PPP was supposed to be an adrenaline shot in the arm for the economy and a very short-term lifeline for employees and payroll at the micro level, 
And I think it's really important to remember that the way that PPP was intentionally constructed by Congress was that it would provide only eight weeks of payroll support. And this is somewhat laughable 14 months into the pandemic, the idea of receiving only eight weeks support. But the PPP has done all it was meant to and more. If, however, you think of the PPP as an ongoing either non-emergency source of support to businesses or as the primary means of supporting businesses over the course of a 14-month pandemic. Or indeed, again, at the micro level, if you had hoped to obtain a second or first PPP loan in hand yet, then yes, there would be some cause for concern. Mm -hmm. So I might be setting you up for failure with this next question because who knows what Congress is ever going to do. But what what should they do? What are the odds that Congress allocates more money to this program? Ooh, I'm uh, I'm reluctant to put money on it uh, because I'm a lawyer. Uh, the, the last year has shown broad bipartisan support for the PPP, and the fact that we went through so many rounds of extension and reauthorization and refunding show that there is interest, and there has always been interest. On that basis, I wouldn't be surprised, doubly so under a Democratic administration, if it was felt like, given how effective the PPP has been, and given that this is, for all its flaws, a uh, process we've now been using for a year, um, that this just proved to be an effective mechanism for uh, particularly a Democratic administration to funnel support to the small businesses. I wouldn't be surprised if additional, and an- another $300 billion thrown into the PPP. And as we've seen from some of these last minute midnight authorizations to the PPP, and as is Congress's want, it wouldn't surprise me if further um, funding and potentially further authorization, i.e. extending the period of application, did happen at the 11th hour. At the same time, I think it's, I think those existential questions as to what the PPP is and what it's designed to do remain. And frankly, I think there is a strong question as to business demand at this point, because as I mentioned, sort of 10 to 15 billion a week, while interesting and helpful and I'm sure of value to those receiving it, is relatively small beer. And it's stretched over a much greater period than the mm-hmm. previous more busy weeks in the PPP. Um, round, and at some point, due to the the way the programs was the requirements and restrictions on the program. Uh, round three started in January this year. I'm personally not clear on what the population is that could obtain either a first or second PPP loan at this point, but for whatever reason have chosen not to. Mm. Uh, but it doesn't seem 14 months into a pandemic, however many months into the PPP program, that this option will suddenly de novo you know, appear to some small businesses. So there is a question as to whether there is a business demand for the PPP. And as Doug would say, uh, there is question as to whether the economy more broadly, given given recent rallies and how we're seeing uh, the economy perform, whether there is even a need for continued access to the PPP program at that macro level. All of these factors, of course, would change significantly if Congress allowed for a third PPP loan. Uh, But I think that's rather unlikely at this point. 
Mm -hmm. So you're also a policy expert. I mean, if they do do this again, what changes to the PP program would you make um, if you could? <laughs> uh, that's a great question, uh, and one that we will have to consider for the next financial crisis, uh, hopefully that being some way off. Um, so let's consider the flaws of the PPP program. Um, there were two main uh, criticisms thrown at the PPP, particularly you know, a year ago. These are, not, uh, these are not things that we've heard as much as recently. Uh, and I think both of them, both of these complaints or these criticisms are the wrong thing to focus on. Uh, first, there is a criticism that PPP funds went to the wrong people, be it Shake Shack or the Lakers or the Bulls. Uh, and I think that's wrong for several reasons. First of all, it's wrong because there is an implication that any one uh, employee is more deserving of being kept in their job than any other. And I understand fully that larger firms have different access to funding streams that might better support them during a crisis, access to funding streams that are not available to smaller firms. But particularly given the second round of PPP expired with funding remaining, it clearly wasn't that obvious that there was a very limited sum of funds and more deserving firms won out over less deserving firms. And ultimately, these are... Um, these are people that are kept on payroll, which was the entire goal. Uh, I also think it's a slightly unfair criticism by which to throw at uh, Congress, the SBA, its PPP program, or even those recipients of loans because that was entirely how the PPP was initially drafted. It wasn't an oversight. Um, this is due to relatively complex uh, drafting that I won't bore you about, about headcount per franchises. But the point was, it was never an oversight or an accident. This was the bill functioning exactly as Congress drafted it to do. And although in the end, Shake Shack had to return that money or felt it had to return that money because the uh, public fallout to receiving the funds was so grim or so dire, I do think it is a slight shame because it is an example of the PPP working exactly as intended. The second complaint about the PPP uh, is that it has been exposed to uh, higher unusual amounts of fraud, or depending on what you read, any fraud uh, would be unacceptable. And this is interesting to me because, first of all, of course you would have to see fraud in a government program of this magnitude, particularly one pushed out as quickly as it was. Uh, so to believe that the program should in some way be completely immune to fraud, I think is childish. Uh, second of all, and this is something I believe is overlooked, uh, the way, again, the PPP was constructed was that Congress instructed the SBA uh, and instructed the banks that would be providing and servicing PPP loans to uh, waive, ignore, neglect, ignore any and all of the fraud prevention checks, whether they're New York client checks or anti-money laundering checks, all the normal apparatus that banks have in place so as to uh, prevent fraud or the financing of terrorism we've seen after the, uh, the BSA and the 9-11 attacks. Um, that was highly intentional because, again, Congress 
thought it was more important that banks get money out of the door to uh, recipients of PPP funds than that banks spend a very long time uh, going through their normal checks and balances to make sure that money is going to the right people to be used appropriately. Um, so fraud was inevitable under that circumstance. And uh, I saw some figures a couple of months ago that suggested that what fraud has occurred is less than 1% of all PPP funds dispersed to this date. So I do feel slightly too much is made of that. And if you have complaints, again, this should be leveled at Congress, which wrote the PPP to act in this manner. Um, for me, a far more interesting criticism and one I'm still working through uh, and one that I've seen less conversation about is why Congress felt it necessary to involve US banks in the process at all. Uh, so I've alluded to this a couple of times now and um, to cut a long, boring story short, too late. Essentially, the way it worked was that banks via their normal relationships with their normal clients would lend to uh, PPP applicants on the basis of the PPP loan uh, calculation. And those loans would then be uh, remanded or forgiven by the SBA. And I'm still somewhat uncertain why US banks had to be involved in this process. The argument was that uh, the banking system had access to funds and would be able to get them door out very quickly, that uh, we could take advantage of the mechanics of US banks in, in putting out loans. And uh, finally, um, again, these, these standing relationships with small businesses. But none of these, to my mind, are terribly impressive arguments. Uh, of course, the SBA via Congress had access to funds. It can't simply have been a question of access to capital. Um, and this question of uh, an outstanding relationship with small businesses, as I mentioned, is a slightly complicated one when it would presumably have been just as easy for the SBA to submit an application directly to the SBA. And there is some evidence that there has been an uneven racial access to the PPP that would mirror uneven racial access to banking systems writ large. Um, the use of the banks required the SBA to set up this extraordinarily complex uh, system of forgiveness, which I certainly don't understand, and I really don't envy the people that have to. Um, and as mentioned before, it seems odd that the banks would attempt to use, uh, sorry, that the SBA would attempt to use mechanisms in place at banks that ordinarily would be perfectly designed to prevent fraud, but expressly told banks to ignore all those checks. So in summary, although I think that the goal of the PPP was an outstanding success on a macro level and a success, a difficult to quantify success on a micro level, and that the result of the PPP was therefore a success, I question some of the procedures, and in particular, I question why the nation's banks had to be involved. Uh, and very finally, um, although I'm going to be completely hypocritical and go back on myself here, one thing that is quite interesting is that uh, the burden the PPP has placed on the relatively sleepy SBA has been frankly astonishing. One thing I find really interesting is that uh, across its lending platforms, because of course the SBA um, 
had small business assistance programs extant prior to the coronavirus pandemic. But across all of its lending programs, the SVA lent something in the nature of uh, $28 billion. Uh, $28 billion across all of financial year 2019 by comparison to that $350 billion in just a few short weeks. Uh, to me, that's astonishing and really fascinating. And one thing I think it would behoove Congress and the Fed to consider going forward, which is the sheer enormity of the operational demands that PPP put on an agency with a relatively small headcount and relatively small budget. Uh, and I think the SVA rose extremely impressively to that task. But again, going forward, I think it would be something Congress would need to think about. Yeah, there's probably a lot more to unpack with all of this. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there. So thank you again for unpacking all of that um, information about the PPP program. I think this was a fascinating conversation. I'm sure Congress will have more to do on the financial services. So we'll have to front. So we'll have to uh, have you back on and talk about that. But thanks again for, for coming on and talking to us about this. Let's just say if Congress does reauthorize the PPP, you owe me a tenner. <laughs> thanks again, Thomas. Thank you, Carl. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.